This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to Knowledge at Wharton. I'm Angie Bessuni. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues, there's a lot of confusing information out there about what it's doing to the job market. Companies are still trying to figure out their work from home policies. Some industries are contracting while others are scrambling to fill positions. And everyone is talking about the great resignation. Here today to separate fact from fiction is Peter Capelli, a Wharton management professor and director of the school's Center for Human Resources. He recently partnered with the employment website Indeed to analyze survey data that it collected on the attitudes and behaviors of American workers. And he found one thing to be clear, the pandemic has rewired worker preferences. And so now is the time for employers to rethink what they're offering. Peter, thanks for being with me today. Thank you. So the report you wrote is titled, Let's Stop Guessing. Here's what's truly changing about work. And I really love that headline because it cuts right through all this confusion that we're hearing, these conflicting reports. Let's get right to that big question. What is truly changing about work? Well, I think the big thing that has changed is that we have a ton of jobs open all of a sudden. And the reason for that is employers waited until the last minute to hire, you might say, or waited until their demand was already back. And they didn't anticipate that everybody else was going to do the same thing. And that, uh, I guess, employees who, who were laid off before were not just sitting by the phone waiting for them to call and come back. So mm-hmm. we have this temporary imbalance of supply and demand here with all these jobs out there. And, and that is, you know, one of the things that's causing employees to be maybe a little pickier than they might in another context. It's also causing more turnover than it might in another context. Um, And that, I think, and combination with the fact that we've had this work from home policy for about a third of the workers during the pandemic um, makes a lot of the people wonder, can we keep doing this? And the employers aren't saying. So I think at the moment, we seem to have a little bit of a log jam. If you look at job search, and despite what you hear about the great resignation, if anything, the big story right now is there's not so many people looking for new jobs and and uh, willing to snap up some of these vacancies. And I think the reason is they're really waiting to see what employers are going to do. Well, since you mentioned the great resignation, let's talk about that, because in your piece, you you do a lot of uh, fact and myth separation, and you do talk about the great resignation. Now, I was a little surprised by what you wrote, because uh, the government has reported that in in August of this year, 4.4 million Americans quit their jobs, and it was a record number since record keeping began. But you're saying, wait a minute, this isn't necessarily reflective of a fundamental change in the workforce. So can you dig into that a little bit and explain that number to us beyond the headlines that we're seeing? Yeah, so sure. So uh, first, the idea of since record began, uh, they don't tell you the records only began 20 years ago. (laughs) And most of that period has been dominated by uh, recession. So there was a recession in 2001. There was a great recession in 2009 that went on for a long period of time. And, you know, jobs become open when the economy is kind of booming. And the closest we've had to anything like, you know, real boom was in 2018, 2019, especially just before COVID, the job market was getting pretty tight. So if you look at the data on turnover by month, 
right? And you looked at July 2021 during the summer when all this talk about the Great Resignation started. Mm -hmm. The turnover rate was 2.7% per month. If you looked at July just before COVID 2019, it was 2.4%, right? So we went from 2.4% to 2.7%. And at the moment, it's up to 3%. But if you compared that to a year before that, I think it was close to 2.7% or 2.6% the year before. Anyway, it's not a huge jump compared to where it was in 2019. And so the idea that, oh my gosh, everybody is quitting. One of the things we don't recognize is people are quitting jobs all the time. You know, in mm -hmm. the U.S., with a labor force of 160 million people, we fill about 70 million jobs every year. So the quit rate, you start totaling it up, is about 30% or so of people quit their jobs every year. And that doesn't count retirements. It doesn't recount layoffs or dismissals. So, you know, it sounds like a huge thing because we don't realize what is normal. And, you know, normal is a whole lot higher than you would have thought. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of people quitting for sure. But given how many jobs are open, it's it's not that many, <laughs> to right. be honest, you know. Uh, so now I think it's ticked up again. We're close to 11 million jobs that are open right now. Uh, and some of the data from Indeed, for example, indicated that job search actually is down, even given that, which is really surprising. Well, you also mentioned in that part about the Great Resignation is that it can be a bit industry specific, that we're seeing these quit rates in very specific industries. I mean, one that easily comes to mind is the restaurant or the service industry. Right. So it's as you're saying, it's not reflective of, of the workforce as a whole. Yeah, uh, right. That's a great point, is that most of this turnover and most of the concern with hiring is for hourly employees and frontline employees. And they're kind of interchangeable, uh, given the jobs are relatively unskilled, between warehouse workers at Amazon and Walmart employees and frontline restaurant workers. You know, not that there isn't some skill to all these, but, you know, they kind of hire back and forth from each other. So the big jump has been in restaurant uh, work and broadly defined entertainment, which is a category like movie theaters and that stuff, which went from zero to sort of open again uh, in the spring of this year. And so employment there went from zero to all of a sudden, you know, a lot of people hired all at once. But if you look at other industries, you look at construction, right, where we're usually talking about shortages, the quit rate there hasn't changed, really. Mm -hmm. And some of the others like uh, finance, you know, traditional office work insurance, it hasn't changed there either. So it's not the, you know, the idea that people are quitting all over the place is not true. The idea that people are quitting and sitting on their hands, which is what is implied in a lot of these stories, like people are giving up on work because they're quitting their job. There's no evidence that that's the case. You know, historically, anyway, everybody who quits takes another job as opposed to retiring, right? Uh, and they typically quit because they got another job to go to, right? So the idea that somehow is this is a rejection of work, there's no evidence that that's the case. I agree with you that it's something that's sort of been missing in the narrative. It's like, well, all these people are quitting. Where are they going? They have to still put gas in the car and food on the table. So yeah, they're getting right. jobs elsewhere. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the heart of this discussion, which is what employers can do moving forward to make sure that they're attracting and retaining a quality, capable workforce. And you have some recommendations in this piece. Let's go over some of the big ones. Uh, the first one that uh, you list, which I think is really interesting, important, you're telling employers to think more broadly about recruitment. What does that mean? 
Yeah. So, you know, in the period after the Great Recession and the labor market was really bad for employees, but great for employers, employers got really picky about Mm -hmm. what they were willing to hire, which maybe is no surprise. But you started to see job requirements go up for the same work. So, for example, legal secretaries, which used to be a job for high school graduates, suddenly became a job that required a college degree, even though the work hadn't changed at all. And why? Well, because you could become pickier, right? So most all these jobs could be done with uh, candidates who have fewer attributes than we usually ask for. So, you know, is it really worth keeping your jobs open longer? Um, Because you're losing money when you're doing that. You're typically foregoing some kind of opportunities And it's costly to fill these jobs and stretching the search process out costs you money too. So, you know, couldn't we think a little more broadly about who you could hire for these jobs and people that you may have passed over before because you had tons of candidates, uh, maybe you should take a look at these other people. And the reason is, you know, we're not great at predicting who is going to be a good worker. Uh, So, you know, it's not like, you know, that because somebody has a college degree, They're going to be better than somebody with a high school degree for this particular job, which probably doesn't require college skills in the first place, you know. So uh, maybe we should do that. The other part of that, though, I guess, and one of the myths is this idea that wages are way out of control. And that's not true. I mean, I'm sure there are places where wages are jumping quickly, but wages are rising uh, now less than the rate of inflation. So real wages are falling. So, you know, the idea that gosh, we've offered this terrific wages and nobody is coming. Unfortunately, that's not true either. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, you don't directly address it, but when you're telling employers to think broadly about recruitment and sort of maybe getting a broader uh, uh, category of what you want to come in the door, doesn't that also help with your pool of diversity candidates as well? You're starting to get more people who who might, you know, submit their resume to you and, and a better a better pool of candidates to choose from. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, and especially, as you say, for people who have biases which are not so clearly exhibited, you have to kind of explain to yourself a little bit why you're turning ca- uh, candidates down these days. And I think that's um, a useful way to counter bias is to say to yourself, if I had to explain this to somebody, what would I tell them? Why am I not considering this candidate mm-hmm. here? Uh, the other kind of biases, other than demographic-based or experience-based, you know, like, well, this person's been laid off for a long time. Well, why is that a problem? What, do you think they forgot to work, uh, how to do it? I don't think so, right? The usual explanation used to be, well, there was some reason why they got laid off. There must have been. And there's some reason, must be something wrong with them or they would have gotten another job. But I think these days, given the pandemic, you, you really shouldn't be even thinking that way, you know, like... Why did they lose their job? Well, duh, a third of the workforce was out of work in March. That's why. And why haven't they come back? Well, there haven't been a lot of jobs and people are afraid of getting sick. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them as a worker, right? So I think making yourself ask that question. And if you're a boss, making the people hire ask that question, give you an answer. Why didn't you consider this candidate? What's wrong with them? That's a very good point. I agree with you. I used to be a hiring manager and I used to say that after the recession, everyone's resume looks like Swiss cheese. 
you cannot hold it against them. So you mentioned pay a moment ago, and that, that dovetails into one of your other recommendations, which is you're telling employers be prepared to pay more for talent, but also think beyond compensation. So whenever I hear words like think beyond compensation, I think, oh no, here come the perks of the foosball tables and the uh, you know fancy microwave in the break room. But I don't think yeah. that's what you're getting at here. And nothing wrong with pizza and, and break rooms. But, <laughs> you know, the big issue right now um, for employees, particularly for people who are unemployed. So there've been surveys asking those folks, you know, what's keeping you from searching more aggressively? And, you know, there's two things. Uh, And the first is still fear of COVID. And the second is a belief that job opportunities are going to get better. And so they're waiting to see if things get better. Well, on the COVID front, of course, there are things you can do there to try to persuade your employees that they're going to be safe. Um, or your candidates that they're going to be safe if they come work for you. And that's an important thing to to think about. Uh, but on the our job's going to get better thing, the the issue which is still kind of hanging out there is uh, work from home, right? Mm-hmm. And that is to what extent will we have some flexibility with respect to uh, being able to work from home? You know, one of the other issues that's holding up people coming back into the labor market is childcare. Uh, because childcare places haven't all reopened at the same rate. And a lot of people, at least for a while here, are, you know, have taken on childcare obligations and because, you know, they their job wasn't going to pay enough or commute was too difficult if they were going back to work, right? So can we do something about work from home to make it easier for people to come in to the workforce? And, you know, not everybody wants to work from home. Uh, Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, few people actually want permanent remote, but there are people for whom this would be a big deal. And how about you think about actually doing that? I think too many employers, frankly, are just waiting to see what everybody else is doing. And, you know, you maybe you're kind of paying a price for doing that. You know, if you think you are okay allowing people more flexibility working from home. You just ran the experiment for a year of office working doing it. And if it looked like it was okay, you know, this is an opportunity to maybe use that as an advantage in hiring. You talk directly in your piece to managers and you mentioned how over the pandemic, over the period of working from home, managers have had to learn how to be more flexible. Um, They've had to learn how to not micromanage and and look over the shoulder of their employees and give them some autonomy. And you're saying one of your recommendations is that companies need to continue to do that. They need to teach their managers how to lead with trust and support. Can you talk a little bit about that some more? Because I think that's a bit of a novel idea coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, you know, one of the funny things from some of the survey research on employees and their experiences. There are several surveys that show that employees report they liked their supervisor better or they got their relationship with them improved during the pandemic. If, of course, if you're really cynical, you would say, well, I didn't see my boss during the mm-hmm. pandemic, so I like her better. I don't think that's what was going on, though. I think uh, some of it was, you know, just this we're all in it together thing. But some of it was that Smarter employees made their supervisors check in with their direct reports at least every week or so and talk about work. You know, in the office, uh, we may see our subordinates a lot, but how often do we actually have a conversation about what they're doing and how it's going? You know, we're talking about everything but that uh, much of the time, right? So one of my MBA students just told me something interesting about his previous role where he was supervising 
new hire undergraduates, uh, and they were doing kind of, you know, or some of them were doing remote internships, you know, some of the summer kids. And he said that they required people like him in the supervisory role to have a 15 minute conversation with those folks every day it was all virtual, all remote, just to talk about how are things going. Right. And that has a huge effect on people, you know, to think that your boss is paying attention to you and uh, it heads off problems that you might be having so that you can, you know, check in with each other uh, and they can ask questions and you can offer some information that goes a real long way toward improving people's work life, improving retention. It's not that hard to do. We just have to have the will to make it happen. You also mentioned your the last recommendation I want to uh, spotlight here is prioritize mental health. What does that look like in the workplace? There seems to be an awful lot more interest in this now. And frankly, it's one of the things that kind of surprised me how often this was uh, coming up. Maybe it shouldn't have surprised me uh, because so many employees were so stressed out uh, working at home. I don't think it was working for home per se that was stressing them out. It was you know, their families there, their kids weren't in school, and they're trying to do their job. It was better than if they didn't have a job, and it was better than if they had to commute. But nevertheless, they were all quite stressed out. And I think the reason it became a bigger deal, frankly, was because of these conversations that were required with their managers, where the manager's understanding of what was going on starts to percolate up. And so I think when we say placing uh, some emphasis on mental health, it, it doesn't mean more wellness programs, right? Where we sort of give you some support as to how to deal with the problems that frankly, we're kind of creating for you mm-hmm. by putting so much stress on you and so much work and um, not enough support. It, it is trying to help think through what we could do to reduce the stress in the first place, right? And a lot of that was simply supervisors being more understanding of of what's going on, right? Uh, I think there was a lot more forgiveness of people having workplace problems during the pandemic because there was awareness from everybody of how much was beyond your control. And I think that went a long way toward improving people's mental health by reducing their stress. Your boss understands that you just can't get this thing done today because of something going on with your kids. Before the pandemic, for a variety of reasons, they weren't understanding that. And maybe you didn't feel comfortable raising it with them, that that's the problem. And so, you know, employees felt a lot more top-down stress. And, you know, that's something we can do a lot more about. Uh, And it's not, again, not that hard to do, but there has to be a willingness to do it. Right. We've all been in each other's living rooms now for the past yeah, 18 which months. which I think helps. Yeah, right. Think things have changed. Yeah. Well, I want us to end this conversation by asking you to peer into your crystal ball. You have been studying workplace issues for decades. You've seen a lot of challenges come and go. Based on your expertise, uh, how does this moment in history resolve? Are companies going to be stronger in the next year? Are, are employees going to be happier? Uh, how does this end? Yeah, well, I guess I should say that I'm lousy at predicting everything. Uh, that's that's the caveat on this. Uh, the uh, other sort of contextual issue, though, is it, there has not been a change this big in the workplace in my lifetime. I mean, if you had told right. us, uh, you know, in March of 2020, that offices would be closed almost for a year and a half, um, I would have thought we would be living in caves and burning furniture for heat, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that we have survived uh, this far. 
So I think the question going forward, of course, is what will employers do? They hold all the marbles in this game and they can do things to accommodate employees' interests in work from home or not. Part of the complication is for employers, they haven't quite figured out how it will help them. They know how it will help employees, not so clear how it helps them. Uh, and I think too many employers are, are kind of sitting on their hands waiting, as we said before, to see what everybody else is doing. I guess what I see at the end is I see an awful lot of, and the longer this drags on without actual decisions, the more likely it is that we will return to kind of the old ways of operating. And there's some considerable evidence that that's already going on. So a third of office workers are already back to work, uh, at, at least measured by card swipes in offices, a third are already back to work. In some places like in Texas, it's already two thirds. But I think there are opportunities for employees, employers rather to differentiate themselves. So there's already enough employers who have said that they're gonna do things differently going forward. They're gonna have some hybrid model. So there will be more variability than there's ever been before. And I think more policies on work from home than ever before. I think there'll be a lot of employers who lurch back to what they were doing before, but I think there'll be enough that there is kind of a critical mass Whereas if an employer decides it makes sense for them to have a hybrid, they won't feel like an idiot uh, or like a loner for being the one who's standing out from what all their peers are doing. So I think there's an opportunity here for employers to do things that might make their employees happy and might make them stay with you longer uh, and might be better for the organization. There's a window for doing something about it that'll probably go on for a little while. Peter, I'm going to invite you back a year from now. We're going to see if uh, if your predictions have have come true, have Ooh, held true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for being with me today. I appreciate it. Good. Thank you. Again, the report is titled, Let's Stop Guessing. Here's what's truly changing about work. And if you're interested, I would recommend his latest book, The Future of the Office, Work from Home, Remote Work, and the Hard Choices We All Face. There's a link to both pieces on our website, where you can also find all our articles on the latest research in business. For Knowledge at Wharton, I'm Angie Bessuni. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.